0: Welcome back everyone. This is The 23 and I'm Chris Kirkby. Today's guest is Bronte Coluscio. To say this woman is all action is an understatement. Bronte is a stunt performer who's worked on Ash vs. The Evil Dead, Avatar 3 and Fantasy Island. She's an aerobic gymnastics coach, choreographer and judge and she's about to add personal trainer and flexibility coach to this impressive list of physical talents. She's currently the only person in New Zealand with both FIG coaching and judge qualifications in aerobic gymnastics. Now not to neglect the psychological side of things, she's also got many qualifications but here are just a few. A BSc in psychology, BA double major in sociology and criminology and a BA BA honours in criminology. Bronte, welcome to the 23.
1: Hi, thank you for having me. It sounds like quite a list when you say it like that.
0: I know, and and, and still only twenty seven.
1: Yeah, well, honestly, I look at my list and my goals, and I think I haven't actually achieved much. I see all the things that I've got ahead of me, and I'm like, oh, I'm behind.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, when I looked into you know looked into and did my research, it was I was like, this is quite an extensive list. I actually had to uh, edit and summarize to squeeze it into a smaller slot. So there's a, there's a lot there. Certainly, been busy in your twenty seven years on the planet um so you're joining us from new zealand so thank you uh, for taking the time um appreciate the evening over there I, I i mean i've never been to new zealand myself i want to go um it's just quite 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 a commute if you like to uh, to new zealand um beautiful place everybody i know that lives there has been there can't speak highly enough of it you must have traveled the world quite a lot especially being a, a stunt performer where would you say other than you maybe home where's the favorite place you've been to on the planet
1: uh, i've i have traveled a lot i've actually traveled more for competitions than i have for stunts okay. to be fair because stunts is newer in the career um i do love going back to sydney which is where i was born family's there but then i also love la because i've developed a lot of friendships with people there so friends and family based But then in general, I do actually like traveling to Europe and England especially, just the history. I actually really love history. So I like that aspect. New Zealand's such a new country, there's not actually much history here. So, yeah.
0: Okay, where where have you visited in the UK?
1: Oh, I was fortunate enough because I was homeschooled. My family and I did a massive trip through Europe. So we did Italy, France, we did England, Ireland, Wales, Scotland, all of it. (laughs)
0: cool cool um there's there's a lot of things for us to get into today um and it's something I like I picked up we were just chatting just before the podcast and it's just weird again um to the people who listen to this podcast regularly they'll know they'll hear me mention it they might actually be sick of me mentioning it but the number 23 cropped up again so you became a stunt performer at 23 um so how how did you get into that industry how did that start
1: Uh, It was actually completely accidental. So I know a lot of people that work in stunts have been obsessed with film and were looking for avenues that were just physical people who loved film and got into it that way and knew people. I knew no one in the industry. I didn't know that being a stunt performer was a thing. So, you know, I went through normal life, went to university, did all all that sort of stuff. I was actually competing in fitness, which is a division of bodybuilding. And I'd reached this point where I'm like, It's really dumb to be an athlete all my life and not get paid for it. And I just hated that I was investing so much time and my own money into it. And there really wasn't any return except for a few accolades. But I'm like, well, that's cool, but it doesn't pay the bills for that much time. And so I was like, well, I'm competing in fitness, like in fitness modeling categories. So why don't I try commercial fitness? Modeling in the meantime. So I went to an agency and I'd written up a CV of things that I'd done, things that I'd competed in. I took it to them and they looked at it and they're like, oh, yep, we can definitely work with you. We'll look at fitness modeling things. And then they're like, oh, we actually put people forward for extras. Would you be interested in that? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I've never thought about working as an extra. Sure thing. Like, is that an option? At this time, I was actually a uni student, so really, I'm just looking for like extra part-time work on the side that uses my skills, because I didn't want to just retrain for some part-time work. And um, after that, they read through my CV even more, and they're like, oh, actually, you'd be perfect for stunts. And I'm like, hey, that sounds cool. What the heck is that? How do I get into that? And they put me onto a woman called Dana Grant. I'm more than happy to shout her out. Um, And she owns the New Zealand Stunt School, and she basically just opened the door for me. I did a workshop with her. I was absolutely terrible. I was so, so bad. But the way I looked at it was not as a career at first. The way I looked at it was, it's a new hobby. It's a new sport that I can train that pays for itself. You know, I've been a gymnast, I've been in fitness, and nothing's ever had that return. But, you know, I can train here once or twice a week. I can go train with friends, learn different martial arts. And, you know, there might be some return at the end of the day. And that's the only way I looked at it. And then an opportunity came up for me only six months after I'd started training. And stunts is very much just if you happen to look like someone or, you know, it's really about the casting. You've got to match the body type and everything. So, Everyone else in New Zealand that was my body type or height with experience was already booked on jobs. It was a really busy time. So Dana put my name forward to a coordinator and she took a risk putting me forward, but she's like, I have someone who's good with aerial awareness, like good with space because of the gymnastics. So they're like, she should be good at all the wire stunts and things. And she called me up and said, hey, look, there's a job for you. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's cool. When is it? And she's like, well, it's, it spans over a few weeks. So, you know, it's going to be a couple of days here and there. It's going to be a bunch of this. And I'm like, oh, actually, I'm going to America in three weeks for a competition. I was booked not just to go to America. You know, I'd been working towards a pro card in fitness. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with bodybuilding at all, but there's certain divisions. You've got the amateur divisions. Yeah. And then you go up to uh, the professional divisions, which is what I've been gearing up for for a while. And so I'd been working towards this competition for months now to get my pro card to take it further. And then I get this opportunity and I'm like, oh, I don't know, because I've also planned to see my friends in LA and Rhode Island and I was going to travel a bit at the same time. And she's like, okay, well, just think about it and let me know. Anyways, her partner at the time was also into stunts and he gave me a call and he's like, I don't think you know how big this opportunity is. Like, this opportunity, it might not be a big job, but for what they're offering to someone so new, you need to take it. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I understand. Like, So I took the risk. I cancelled all my trip. I actually, yeah, I lost a bit of money on cancelling that much of the trip. That was also a concern. Being a student, i like, well, it's a lot of money to lose out with travel insurance and things, not covering all of it. But I got to set, and the job was huge. So I was doubling um, Ellen Sandweiss, and this was on season two of Ashford's Evil Dead. So she's Cheryl, she's Ash's sister, and the actress didn't want to do too much of the physicality stuff, and I ended up doing basically everything in that episode. I was working so much. It wasn't just the dates they had said, and it was absolutely massive stunts for a newbie. Um, I'm on six or seven wire gags in that first episode I'd ever worked. Whereas most stunt performers, first day on set, you know, they're in the back of shot, trip, fall over, cool, that's where I need you to do, that's your first day on set, congratulations. Mine was just in the deep end, in harness chucked around have you ever done a jerk back before what is a jerk back well for starters do you have a helmet and I'm like what is happening <laughs> I had no idea what was happening and yeah I just got thrown in the deep end but the thing is I swam I absolutely loved it and after that very first job I was just like stuff everything this is me <laughs> I'm done this is where I belong you know you just find your passion so yeah that's a very long roundabout way of how i got into stunts
0: i <laughs> know that's, that's that's really interesting i think there'll be people that have you know like you said that just all they want to do is work in movies and they'll be cursing you right now because you just fell into it but sometimes that's just the way things work um but no i'm, I'm pleased for you that you found your passion it's always nice to hear and see people really um really owning what they do and and really enjoying it because you know, more and more, you find people that they, they wrestle with things in life. They they want to change certain aspects of maybe career or home life, relationships. But when you see somebody that's really found what they like doing, it's a, it's a real pleasure to, to to watch and to listen to. So, uh, congratulations! Thank you. Um, I agree with you. What I because for me, this is a question, and I, I and I asked it to um, I, I believe you probably worked together, Augie Davis. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's the big boss. <laughs> yeah, he. He's he's, the boss. what what, what a guy Um, and I asked him this question and I thought because uh, because you work in the same industry I thought it would be interesting to ask you who if you could fight somebody on screen who would it be
1: um that is a good question I mean there's obviously like the kings in the game like Donnie Yen and Jackie Chan I haven't worked with any of them but uh, there's also a couple of, like, the stunt coordinators that I've or met that are coordinating now, not performing. And I'm like, oh, I'd sort of love to see them when they're on the game and performing. So it's actually some of the people that I work for, I'd like to fight them because i just love to see what they were like doing that, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm
1: in the generation behind them.
0: <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. I always think, you know, when you... Stuff like that. I remember when I was an actor. I thought to myself, there was a couple of people. I thought it was a director. I thought just working with like Christopher Nolan, who did you know Inception, mm-hmm. Stella and, and Tenet. More recently, I was like, just imagine working with that guy. I think I was thinking the amount you'd learn just in a you know in a two-hour slot, maybe three. Um, he was That's my
1: thing. Every day on set. Every day I'm on set because everyone has the most interesting backstories. Like everyone you work in with film has the most interesting story about how they got there. So whenever I get a chance, I'm like, number one, tell me about yourself. Number two, what can you teach me? <laughs> what can I learn off someone every yeah. time?
0: But that, I think that's the, the best way to approach approach life because you know, everybody, doesn't matter if you're more experienced, less experienced, not even in the related field. Somebody has got something to teach you. It's just a case of unearthing whatever that is. Um, yeah. So talk to me about um, the aerobics, gymnastics side of things. So obviously you did that be- much before you got to stunt um, and mm. you, you retired at a, at a young age. But the, you know, the reason behind it is, is more, maybe more complex than it might seem on the surface.
1: Yeah, that's very true. So I actually started in aerobic gymnastics when I was eight years old. And that's because I was actually doing Irish dancing at the time, randomly, and uh, I wasn't very flexible. So I got chucked into gymnastics, saw aerobic gymnastics, which is, uh, for those who don't know, it's not the bars, the beam and everything. Aerobic gymnastics is on the wooden floor and it's a combination of old school aerobics, gymnastics skills, both men and women's gymnastic skills. There's a lot of strength-based moves. Um, And even some, I suppose you'd call them breakdancing or tricking moves. Uh, Yeah, just like lots of different styles of movement all combined in a big performance, really. And so I fell in love with that sport. And I mean, I was quite obsessed with that sport. So I ended up giving up the Irish dancing. And at age 11, I first represented New Zealand in teams, So we went and competed in LA at the time and we got smashed. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to sugarcoat it either. I'm pretty sure we came last in every single category. And when we came home, we're just like, ah, oh, we, we don't actually want that to happen again. Like we didn't, we love the sport. We don't like coming last when we go overseas. So we actually changed aerobic clubs um, and we changed to a more gymnastics based one. And unfortunately that was sort of the beginning of the end of my career in aerobics. So the coach, unfortunately, was, uh, I, I don't, it's difficult for me to talk about because I don't like to speak poorly of people. So I will never mention the coach's name. I'll never mention the club because it's not about them. It's about my story and what I went through. So I never like to talk about them, so I find it very difficult to explain without it sounding like I'm hating on them a lot. So forgive me if I take time to, like, buy my words a bit. But uh, we changed robot club and we started competing. Uh, We actually were very successful. So when I say we, there must have been uh, four of us initially changed clubs to this one because it was the most elite in the country, and then... After we started to have some success, more and more people from our old uh, aerobics club started to come to us. So I think in the end, there must have been another six or seven high-performing athletes that came into our team, into the uh, aerobics club there. So to, to be blunt about it, the coach was quite abusive, mentally, emotionally abusive. I can say that now at the time, you know, you don't see it. There was very much a honeymoon period when we first started. So everything was nice and lovely and we were succeeding. And then we started to notice different things. So the coach would start to have favorites. And it's like, oh, who's the favorite this month? Because they can do no wrong for whatever reason. That athlete just for a month can't do no wrong. And it was sort of the running joke. And then it started to become less and less of a joke as more and more of us started to be the least favourite, the least favourite. And then it all sort of climaxed um, around my last year from age 14 to 15. The coach had gone and done some education overseas and come back and just come back with a new vengeance, to say the least. And so for, for those who are wondering what emotional and mental abuse I'm sort of talking about, so we were aged between 12 to 15. That's kind of the age group of the girls we were working with. And uh, I'm trying to think of one story to tell you. For example, we were told when we were injured, which was quite often, we were often told we were faking it. I'm like, okay. And so, for example, I had uh, sesamoiditis, which is inflammation in your foot. And so we did a lot of jumping on wooden floors, so it's just inflammation, it's just a repetitive use injury. But because I was on my feet all the time and we did things like jumps and landing and split and stuff, you know, as soon as I did one of those, it'd become inflamed and become quite painful just even to walk on. And when I was injured with that, I was told I was faking it. Uh, If I couldn't perform a skill element, the coach would ignore me, talk to my teammates and just blank me. Or if I did a skill which hurt me and I cried, I was made to sit outside for trainings. Uh, For example, we would work so hard, we'd get to the point of vomiting. That's not the issue in itself. The issue itself was when I came back in to see my teammates after vomiting, my coach told them that I was faking it for attention and to not talk to me for the remaining hour and a half of our training. And I walked in on that, and I was like, what's going on? Why is it so weird? they're like, we're not allowed to talk to you because you vomited. So it, it was things like that nonstop, and it got to the point where it wasn't just hard at training. You know, most trainings for that last six months, I'd come home pretty shaken, and it got to the point where my parents were getting text messages from other parents who had heard from their children how bad the bullying and abuse was. And these parents were texting my parents going, hey, is your daughter okay? Like, because our daughter just told us what happened to her at training. Is she okay? My parents were going absolutely mad. They were pulling their hair out for a good year and a half trying to get me out of the sport. But I loved the sport and I was obsessed with becoming a world champion. I was absolutely obsessed with it. Like, you wouldn't believe But it just got to the point where uh, my parents were like, nah, not worth it. Being a world champion is not worth all the mental health issues that you're going to face later on through going through this. And so, yeah, I mean, those are just some of the stories that we went through. I can recall countless ones. They tend to stay in your mind a lot, particularly from those kind of formative years. Um, So that's... Really my career in aerobics, we did travel internationally a lot, we did do very well internationally, but it just, yeah, had to cut it short.
0: What, what do you think the 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 cause of this person's attitude was? What can you think that, you know, when you think back, um, you know, how would you try to um, you know, formulate a reason why that was happening, you know, looking back, I mean at the time it was very yeah. so difficult.
1: At the time, I definitely didn't think about them at all. So at the time, it was definitely just after we retired. Because it wasn't just me. I was one of the last remaining athletes in the squad. There must have been three of us left, maybe four, when I quit aerobics, when I retired. Um, people had been dropping off for the last year. So like it was like, once a month, who's going this month? Next month, who's going this month? Because no one wanted to for mental health. There was just so much, so much going on. Um looking back on it now, I have the insight to see what it was, which was abuse by the coach. But I think it was a lot of insecurity. In my mind from what I can see, it was wanting some of it was pure because she wanted us to succeed, but I think she wanted us to succeed for selfish reasons. So because of, because of her own insecurities and things like that, it was more, you know, she was getting something out of it, not so much us. And there was not really looking towards the longevity of us as athletes or as people. So, you know, wasn't wasn't so much investing in us as people, which I find is a really big difference, particularly being a coach now and coaching at the level I am now. You know, it's just a sport. You don't get paid for it. It's not a career. It's not an Olympic sport at the moment. As much as they try, the gymnastic schedule's full. You know, what what I leave these athletes with is either a good experience or a bad one, either, you know, positive, positive influence, negative influence, and life lessons they can take or life lessons that, you know they don't want to repeat what they've just done. And so I don't think my coach had that attitude at all.
0: Okay. You, um, I mean, you, you have obviously done some, you know, reflecting later in life to, to understand what was happening and then process it. And then I'm imagining that you've been able to take those lessons and apply those to the way that you now coach. Um, mm. You're a big believer in um, owning your own story. Um, So talk to me about the, you know, for you, the importance of that.
1: Yeah, so the importance to me was um, it took me a lot of it took me many years to come to terms with what happened. So, as I mentioned before, I was homeschooled. So when I retired from aerobics, I spent my last couple of years just homeschooled. And pretty much that's a nice, happy home bubble. I have an awesome nuclear family, <laughs> you know, I have parents that really care for me. And so being at home without those peer pressures and all those sorts of influences just meant that everything that had happened to me, you know, I really hadn't expressed or been challenged and seen, um, seen those sort of patterns that would have been established come through. So when I hit university, things were a little bit different. And I often joke that the only thing an undergraduate psych degree is good for is diagnosing yourself. <laughs> because, you know, most people need a master's or a doctorate to do something with psychology. Everyone sitting in those undergraduate psychology lectures is just thinking, wait a minute, that's me. Wait a minute, that's me. And just, You know, they're just diagnosing themselves the whole time or their family. That's the other one it's good for. Um, but that is a lot what happened is. So looking back on it, I was like, oh actually I can see this and this and it was funny the real realization was when I caught up with um one of the senior athletes so she would have been five years older than me and you know I thought of her as my big sister when I was back then she went overseas traveling a lot she came back for a visit and we caught up and we just had one real moment where we got genuine and we're like she had recognized it as well and come to terms with it and she's like we should have been there for each other because that was abuse. That was something really traumatic. But what happened was at the time, everyone just ran. Everyone just ran and didn't face it, wasn't there for each other. No one really processed it. And lots of different things happened. I can't speak for all the girls that went through that with that coach in particular. But I know there was various eating disorders I know that there was party scenes and bad decisions and just bad relationships for some of them and um so that was quite sad but the thing that I realized is that no one was speaking about it and I'm like this is really messed up like why is no one actually you know what this happened and to be fair I realized I'd been like that myself so when I was maybe uh 18 oh i should go back just one second so after the final tour that i went on in the new zealand team so i went to vegas with my team in 2008 that was my last international tour as an athlete for aerobics and um my family did not want to let me go they were in tears before i was going because my coach was the new zealand coach so we were in her stead the whole time and that terrified them that genuinely terrified my family that I was going to be left with this woman in a foreign country underage fortunately me and my teammates were good kids and we didn't do anything stupid and we managed to look after ourselves cuz we traveled so much and i mean we pretty much looked after ourselves cuz we were heavily neglected over there and um yes yeah, so when i came back that's when i retired but We placed formal complaints with um, the governing body at the time and nothing came of them, but uh, my old coach left the country and that was it. And so that was like, okay, so I'm still coaching. I'm still involved in the sport. They're not around. It is what it is. But then when I was about 18, I rocked up to the first uh, aerobics competition for the season. It's a small sport in Auckland and – I park my car and I look over and I see my old coach, a new track suit with a new club with athletes following her into the competition. And I just had a full blown panic attack. I was in the car crying, freaking out thinking, Oh my gosh, all I could think about was those kids. And I was just absolutely distraught and then I was also the thought of having to go in and see her and just the whole thing was just overwhelming. So I must spend about half an hour in the car, like calling up my mum, being like, okay, what do I do? I have to go in, like freaking out. Eventually I go in and then I'm at the competition and at first I'm terrified. I'm terrified. I'm sitting there. I'm scared, not knowing what to do. And then I just like have this realization. I'm like, they're just a person. She has no control over me anymore. Absolutely none. Not my coach. In fact, at this point, you know, I'm judging the competition. Has to be nice to me (laughs) because I'm a judge. Not that I would ever in my life be a biased judge. Um, But, you know, you can't upset a judge because if I go to the competition organiser and say I'm being harassed or anything bad's going down, they're going to be escorted out. And so they have to be civil. So once I realised that, oh, well, things have to be civil in a competition, I relaxed a bit. And then the next competition, it was sort of another confrontation of actually seeing them and then realising, actually, you know, they're quite a small person. And I just, it was sort of slowly realising that, you know, they've got no control. I'm my own person and, you know, It's just that kind of amazing feeling when you can stand in front of someone who's had that kind of negative impact and has mentally, emotionally abused you and you can go, you have absolutely zero power over me anymore like you have nothing i'm quite happy standing here face to face with you i'll have a conversation you'll freak out and start to run away and it actually feels pretty good
0: <laughs> it's um it's actually as soon as you started telling the story about the you know the way that you know, when you you know, you and your friend were talking and said you should have been there for each other and i was just thinking the whole way through the, the story you were just telling and it started with the story between you and your friend is that it's absolutely incredible how bad the decisions we make can be when we're stricken by fear, when we're in the grasp of fear. Yeah. And then, as you have talked through the story, and obviously you then, when fear was was gone, instantly better decisions were being made. You were happier. You were more in control. And it, it's so it's so telling. And especially at the moment, you know, people, a lot of people are gripped by fear. When in a lot of cases they just don't need to be that scared. Um, in you know, in, in many many things that are going on, like you know the. The COVID situation is, is one for me. I think that there's far too much focus on the fear and not enough focus on all the positives that um, are going on. You know, that is in so many people will survive. Like 99% of people gonna be fine. We should be celebrating that, not panicking about the one. But that's just my opinion. Um okay. but um it is nice to see that when people can, can can harness the confidence to to sort of banish fear that life instantly improves within within you know milliseconds it's how, how how fast you can turn that around
1: yeah it was within milliseconds and it was also it was acknowledging that i was scared but then it was also not just feeling it but trying to diagnose the why exactly yeah you know so once you're breaking it down you start to think about it logically and you start to throw out all those different things like oh well i'm scared because they did this well They're not doing that anymore. You can't be scared of that. And so you start to sort of knock all those bricks out of the way and eventually you're left with a clear path, if that makes sense. You know, you've got all these bricks which are building up the wall, which is fear, and then each brick you just take and you go, okay, well, why do I feel that? And then you confront it and you go, well, that's not an issue anymore. Chuck it to the side. Mm -hmm. you just got to keep doing it. And that's what I found. The more I saw them, the more I realised, well, actually, they have no power of my life. It's actually... total opposite they're starting to fear me because i'm standing tall because i'm standing here comfortably in front of them because i haven't run because i've stayed in the sport and now actually i've been new zealand coach for i don't know how many tours so in fact i've risen to a level above what they were at so yeah
0: so i so there's, there's something i want to explore with you as well and it's the concept of risk taking i don't mean that necessarily in just the literal sense so let's take stunt performance for example there's risk calculated risk but there's risk nonetheless um yeah. but if we look at risk taking from a from a wider perspective just touching back on you know your story about how you got into stunt performing in the first place you know, mm. how, what would you say about either the you know the, the pros and cons of, of risk taking because you had to do that um, you know, you sacrificed a lot of work, preparation, and dedication to the to the uh, the pro physique competing that you were doing, and then yeah. you took a risk. It worked for you. You know, what would you? How would you? You know, what would you say about risk taking as a whole?
1: Well, overall, I don't think you can succeed without taking a risk. Because, I mean, when I was thinking about even back to when I was thirteen years old, and I decided to homeschool. So it wasn't actually my parents' decision. My parents had offered my brother homeschooling. He'd been homeschooled for two years. Uh, I was still at school, loving it, doing well, lots of friends. And I was like, oh, no, that's so lame. I'm never going to do that. Uh, And then it got to a point where I was like, actually, I want to do well in my sport and I want to do well in school and I want to have friends. And the traditional schooling system for me, where you sit there for however many hours half the time not doing anything and you've got to relearn everything at home, it wasn't really working for me. So I took the risk and decided, well, actually, I want to study at home. And now lots of people at the time were like, well, you're not going to get into university. You're not going to have friends. You're not going to have all this. I'm like, oh, actually I am because I'm going to make sure I do. You know, I'm going to study hard. I'm going to get out and see people. And so every step I've taken a risk. I took a risk in schooling. I took a risk to get into stunts. You know, uh, I just don't think you can succeed without taking risk.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's, there's, there's. I think there's another thing about risk taking for me. Just thinking about it now, is there's a real when you take a risk, there's a sense of accountability because you know it was your choice to risk it.
1: Mm. So
0: I think it's it's a, it's a big driver to say, well, I'm, I know there's a risk involved. I need to I need to make sure that this is I give it the best that I can can give it.
1: I think people fear taking a risk because they're scared that it won't pay off. And they more feel that they fear the failure more than they fear the risk. I think that's the risk. That's the the thinking pattern of most people is, oh, but what if? Oh, but what if?
0: Yeah, you're so right. (laughs)
1: so what What if you do fail at least you try
0: (laughs) exactly it's like the the world doesn't end if you oh no i failed so what like you've got the emphasis that you put on onto the failure and it's interesting because a lot of the people said that um you know i think i'm gonna try that yeah but what if it doesn't work well uh, you've just answered your own question it it doesn't work and then something else will happen you know you don't like literally just drop dead on the spot because you fail (laughs)
1: Exactly. I think as soon as you start to say, oh, what if? Oh, but what about this? What about this? Well, then you're actually just filling your head with all the negative um, results. And the more you think about it, the more you're probably going to self-sabotage and set set yourself up for those negative results. Mm. Whereas if you are thinking, I'm going to do this because I'm going to achieve this and you just focus on what you're going to do, you're more likely to achieve this is actually something that I have to deal with with my athletes that I currently coach a lot is a lot of them will be scared about trying harder skills or you know competition and things like that and they'll get to a skill in their routine and go oh but what if I lose it then they're thinking about the deductions or something like that it's like you just you can't think about what ifs and that's one thing I'm really big about you can't think about what if this what if this you just got to think about well actually I just want to achieve this. Here's my stepping stones. I'm just going to do that. If it doesn't work out, well, I'll deal with that later. You know, you just deal with it after the fact. You can't worry about it before it's happened.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, (laughs) I think that it's, you know, it's clear clear to you that, you know, you know, you you know yourself well and, um, and you've, clearly done a lot of thinking because i think anybody when you go through something it forces you to reflect uh, well unless you run away from it and then there's a whole heap of damage waiting for you later down the line if you do um, but in your in your case you know it seems that you really do you know i'm picking up when you're talking about school there and you were like well no i will have friends so you clearly value the importance of relationships so when it comes to you know you, you've you you have achieved accolades you've got you know awards medals uh, certificates Um, qualifications when you know when you get like further on in your life how do you think you'll weigh up those those accolades versus the uh, relationships that you've experienced developed and and nurtured in life
1: I don't think I'll value the accolades much at all quite frankly like even I mean I'm quite young right now in the scheme of things I'm only 27 so looking back I look at back. At, you know, before I was 20, that aerobics career, I look at all the medals we got through sports and I'm like, well, I actually kind of wish we didn't have to go through that for me to be the person I am. But obviously, it was necessary for me to be the person I am right now. But I don't care about the medals we got overseas because that last medal that I got, the bronze medal at the very final competition where I represented New Zealand, well, I had a coach that was neglecting me and telling me, literally, I overheard that coach tell another coach, hey, look, anything's possible. My team made the finals. And I'm sitting there listening to her like, excuse me, what? So like, that medal, you know, is in spite of people, but it doesn't mean much to me. What means much is the relationships they kept from that time. And obviously the experiences, they're what lasts. You know, you always say that, the end of the day you're not going to take money with you you're going to take relationships and that, you know eulogies and funerals people aren't talking about oh so they made this much money and then they finished this degree and did that if that's what people are saying about me then I didn't leave much of an impression you know you, you want to make a difference in people's lives you want to actually be a person be a human you know uh, not really saying it that well, but I think you can kind <laughs> no, of. I think, gener- I
0: think, I think I- you made yourself clear. <laughs> um yeah. So I just want to touch on the, the the health side of things just for a second, because you know anybody that's has done what that you've done and the variety of physical activity that your body has been through in your in your short twenty seven years on the planet. Um, how do you how do you how do you look after yourself? Because obviously there's. There's a lot of different aspects to stunt performing. Things that people won't even take into consideration in terms of the the, the physical skills that you need, even to be working on on wires or uh, springboards, you know, and all that kind of thing, or get thrown through a window. Not sure if that's your thing, but you know, people do it. How do you take How do you take care of your body, and how, and what kind kind of routine do you follow to ensure that you're in tip-top work, working condition?
1: For me, I definitely. I'm physically active every day. I won't say that I train every day because, to me, training is um, usually skill-based. So, for me, training would be like I'm currently doing Wushu. So, I haven't trained Wushu this week. But there's also, or if I go to gymnastics, like gymnastics open session, that's training. Whereas, for me, being physically active is I make sure I go for a walk. So I have two very different sides to um, my physical well-being. So I like to do things like go for a walk with friends or go for a walk listening to a podcast and things like that or go for a hike um, somewhere nice. I don't consider that training. To me, that is well-being, general fitness because it has way different benefits to me. So the staying physically active through walking or hiking things like that has more of a mental benefit. I really enjoy the training aspect because I like being challenged. For example, um, I've been doing jujitsu for about a year now on and off Been a bit difficult through COVID obviously can't really train jujitsu on your own. But for that, it's very physically demanding, but it's also human chess. That's the best way I can describe it. So You have to learn a lot and learn to apply it and so it's it's a very different kind of um activity to going for a walk obviously mentally for me so some physical activities are relaxing some are to learn and be challenged and to develop for my job so the martial arts are to me that's work so I enjoy it I thoroughly enjoy jujitsu wushu gymnastics all those sorts of things I love them but they work. And when I go to those places, I'm working. When I go for walks and hikes and things, it's relaxing. It's different. It's for my mental health. You know, I'm not going being like, I'm going to get the best time on this hike. I'm like, I'm just going to stroll. If I feel like stopping, I'll stop. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. If you, if you ever get stuck for um, a podcast to listen to, I can recommend one if you want. I mean. I've oh,
1: actually been listening to it. Oh, right. I okay. Been,
0: oh, oh, Wow. Yeah. I might have just laughed myself in it. I hope you enjoyed uh, some of the some of the content.
1: Yeah, it's been good. It's been good. I did enjoy Augie's episode too.
0: <laughs> yeah, I thought you might, um, but yeah, no, I I really enjoyed Augie's episode as well. And um, we talked at length um, after the podcast just because there was things that I wanted to ask him. I'm thinking because they were kind of really specialist to my experience in this industry um, to oh. compare to his, and I didn't want to bore the listeners in terms of oh it's just about chris and his life he's like no it's not it's really not but so i saved a lot to talk about with Orgy. um when um when you like you think about like, people you admire and uh, you know like either i don't know role models or would you say um that you you have a a, a hero or a, like a role model anybody you think that is somebody that i really look up to
1: definitely i do not have a hero So lots of people do. I do not. There's no one person that I idolise. I have certain role models for certain things and I have a lot of people that I learn from. So obviously, for me, my parents have played a really big role in my life. They've been there for me through a lot and they've given me a lot of opportunities. So looking to them is, um, yeah, they're just major role models for me in terms of how they live and everything. But then, for example, stunts, there's certain stunt performers which where they're up to in their career is something that I aspire to. And then there's others which, you know, just some of the things they have to say, you know, there's some really inspirational speakers out listening to them and what they have to say. I find it quite inspiring. But I don't like to focus on any one person because I think, really, your hero should be yourself. You should be proud of who you are. You should be building yourself up. You should never want to be someone else. And I think if you're constantly aspiring to be someone, if you have someone in your mind, you're always going to be disappointed because you're never going to be that person. And that's just a fact that you're never going to be someone else but you. So accept it and love it. Yeah. <laughs> well,
0: just I'm, the truth. I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, yeah. So, you know, when you, uh, I'm just thinking back into uh, to your career, because like, injury is a risk, it's a, you know, it's a realistic risk of any physical activity, not, uh, you know, not least uh, stunt performing. But you did, um, you badly ruptured your ankle at one stage in your in your career, didn't you? Um, yes. When it came to recovering from that, I mean, you can t- feel free to please tell us, you know, how it occurred in the first place. But, you know, when it came to the recovery side of it, you know, what was the most important element for you in in getting a fast recovery on track and getting back to doing what you love?
1: Yeah, that was a really difficult time for me. So I had worked, I think it would have been two years ago now. So I had been working for quite some time in uh, stunts. And so what had happened was, go back a little bit. When I got my first job in stunts, I was actually studying my honours degree at the time. But I'd committed to my honours, so I was determined to finish it. So, you know, I was sitting there writing essays on set and things. But at the end of my, my honours degree, I actually finished with first class and I was offered to go on to, I had pretty much guaranteed scholarship to go on to master's and PhD, which is something that I originally had aspired to. But I came to that point and I'm like, actually, I've had this amazing experience with stunts and I want to pursue that. So I gave up all the education, scholarships, all of that, and pursued stunts. And I had a really great following year in the stunts. But it's, you'll know as an actor, work comes and goes. You know, it's either feast or famine. You're either getting five phone calls a day and having to turn down a bunch of things, or you just haven't heard from anyone for three months or more. And so this was the or more time. And so I'm like, well, stuff this. I'm not going to wait around for an opportunity. I don't believe in just waiting for things to happen. So I was like, well, I had a really great experience when I went to the States the previous year. I had, um, I'd been catching up with a friend and we just decided, Hey, we should go try some random fitness classes. It was one of my friends that I'd done fitness competitions with in the States. So after coaching uh, the New Zealand team, I'd left the team and they were flying home and I went on to visit my friends and did fitness classes. And I met stunt performers in the States and they were really great to train with. And I learned so much. So I'm like, I'm going to come back. And so during the dry season, uh, there's not many performers here because a of senior performers in New Zealand go overseas for work. You know, they've got enough of a reputation, enough of a career that they get calls to work overseas a lot. So I decided, well, why don't I go overseas? So I went back to the States and I lived there for about five weeks, six weeks maybe at a friend's place in L.A. And I stayed and I trained and I trained and I trained and it must have been five, six hours a day, every day I trained and I learned and I just obsessed with it. I tend to obsess about things I love and um, it must have been on the fourth to last day and it was hour five of training and I was training with guys because stunts is a very male-dominated industry and I just thought that I could keep up with the boys and I was trying to learn a new skill when I was tired and I hadn't eaten yet. Yes, five hours through the day, I still hadn't eaten, tired, no rest. I was just pushing myself. And I tried this skill and I was like, yeah, I think, I think I've got it. I just need a bit more speed and then I can try it on the ground. And I was training on this box and I trained it and I threw the skill hard and my ankle landed on the edge of the box and I was down. And I cannot tell you the pain. Like I was just laying there and when you stub your toe you know you wait for that pain to ease and it never eased it just got stronger and stronger and they tried to escort me off the floor and when they stood me up I just about passed out because all the blood rushed to my ankle and the pain got worse I almost fainted in their arms with that pain and so when I came home sorry
0: I was just saying was it was it ankle ligaments by a chance
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: What you're describing, I did the same thing playing football. And I, because as soon as you described the pain shooting down to your ankle and just getting worse, I'm like, oh, wow, what is this? This is seriously bad.
1: Yeah. So I had, most people do lateral ankle sprain where they roll the ankle outwards. I had everted it, which is less than 10% of cases you roll inwards. Uh, And that's what I'd done with force. But because the force had been so strong, it then gone outwards and ruptured the outside one and the medial as well so I'd literally done every side of my ankle was just gone went home in a wheelchair came home I had just spent a lot of money and a lot of time investing in my training and now I'm sat on a couch at home with a moon boot on not able to do anything and that was the hardest thing so I'd been over there with a friend And he had come back and just managed to keep up the training because we had gone there with the focus of learning. It was like, learn as much as we can. Don't master it now, just learn. And then we'll take it back and we'll master it when we get home. Just whatever we do, take a notebook, film it, do everything we can just get the knowledge and we'll master it when we go home. And that was the plan. And then I got home and I couldn't master anything except trying to walk again. And it must have taken me about a month before I could put anything on any kind of weight on my ankle and that was probably one of the hardest experiences of my life from going from pursuing this career like there's no tomorrow and then just being crippled and it was my right ankle as well so driving was impossible while I was in the moon boot because I couldn't we drive on the right side couldn't put my ankle anywhere, you know. Can't tuck up the moon boot. I have had experiences before where I've done my ankle before and had to drive with the left foot. Would not recommend it. It was an interesting experience, <laughs> but you got to do what you got to do to get home.
0: <laughs> I don't know. But I, I could, once, I once as a, as a couple of people used to work with, we used to jokingly try to break with with our, our left, left foot. foot, and I nearly went through my windscreen because. <laughs> I thought I thought I was really being gentle. I'm like, yeah, this is just nice little uh-huh. And all of a sudden, the windscreen nearly hit me in the face. I was like, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to do that ever again.
1: This isn't my first ankle injury, so I had hurt my right foot once before, and that there was a couple of days, maybe a week, where I had to drive with my left foot. So I did have some left foot experience out of necessity, <laughs> um, but. At this point, I couldn't, I really couldn't find any position comfortable for that ankle. So I couldn't drive. I live out in the country. So I'm not close to the city at all. I'm not close to public transport. Uh, I am out in the wops, you know, countryside, nothing around. So I'm not close enough for friends to just drop by on their way home. So not only was I unable to do anything physically, I wasn't able to have friends around often unless they made a real effort to come out, which is difficult during the week. You know, some of them might make the effort on a weekend. So then I'm just sat on my couch wondering what the heck to do for a month. Just what do I do? I can't keep pushing the ankle. I've got to try and move it. And that was a real low point. Just having everything, the whole rug taken out, all that hard work just gone. It was like, Oh, I, I honestly was so dark then. I remember a friend coming over and just being like, "Wow, you need to get out more." And I'm like, "You want to take me? <laughs> like, by all means."
0: So but, what did you do? To so what was it that helped you get through that? Because you you know you got you have to deal with it, don't you? Because you're faced with that reality. So how did you get? What was it the thing that helped you get through that and then back on the road to recovery?
1: I think, I'm trying to think, I I prayed a lot, to be honest, I'm Christian, so I'm quite faithful, and to me, um, because at that point, it was also kind of like, well, maybe I'll go back to study for a while, if my ankle's totally munted, and I can't use it, then maybe I'll go back to study, maybe I'll do this, but to me, it was like, if I'm this upset about something, there's a reason for it. You know, like if I have this much of a passion for something, there's a reason for it. And I thought it was, you know, it's my responsibility, my duty to actually pursue this and discover why this passion exists. Why am I so passionate? And um, to kind of fulfill its potential. So I just, I did what I could. I did everything. I, I still, I saw the physio, I had a million of one scans. I got cortisone multiple times so I could move again. And then I turned into a bit of a um, crazy person because I just started to make up ankle exercises to try and help me move again to get it to move sooner. Um, And it'd be things like, because I, it sort of locked into place because the whole joint was munted. Um, So I really had no movement, couldn't squat, couldn't calf raise, couldn't do anything. So once I learned to walk again, you know, the mobility of it was still very poor. So it was a lot of focus on mobility. And so it must have taken me about six months minimum just to get the mobility back, the strength I'm still working on to this day. I've actually, I'm with a strength and conditioning coach at the moment just to fix those muscle imbalances. I don't think if I uh, was working a normal job, I'd notice it. I think it'd be normal, but honestly, I just wrote myself lists and I kept records and photos, and I did everything I could, and I got out as much as I could. It was really uh, a lot of mental fortitude no?
0: yeah. Do you know what I think this is the really really important point that you raised there is about muscle imbalances. you know I can speak from like my ankle ligaments caused me nightmares forever, even now, I am still messing around. I have to stretch one side more than I have to stretch the other. I have to rehabilitate one side of my hips more to make sure that it's aligned and fires as as predominantly as my right one. Honestly, all because it's my own fault, actually. When I did my, playing football, I was just studying to become an actor. So I was, it was this thing where I was really annoyed when it happened because a bit like you, when it matters that much to you, there's a reason you're so annoyed. And I was thinking, well, great. So I can't now, I can't now go on stage because unless every single character I play has a limp, then I'm going to be struggling. Um, and I remember thinking that that's me done, no more football, and I just kind of sulked about it i didn't go i didn't go to a physio i didn't go to a hospital or a doctor I just like, nope, not doing it anymore <laughs> and then oh
1: my gosh
0: and, and then uh then i uh later got some assessment when i'm thinking, you know six months this is still agony it wasn't even yeah. sore it was like you know that shooting fiery pain that you get every time it flexes or moves and like, it's still there and they're like yeah you've you've done your ankle ligaments but you've left it so long now you've caused an absolute night so my own fault but um it does cause a lot of imbalances I think when people injure themselves in life they, they might even like oh I, I tweaked my back the other week at work moving the photocopier or something like that you yeah. don't realize if you don't if you don't address it you know later in life Gonna it's going to creep up on you and get you maybe not on that exact spot but somewhere else so it's it's, it's yeah. important um, and develop
1: poor movement patterns that's the other thing i find compensatory moving compensatory
0: yeah. Movement pattern yeah yeah that's a big <laughs> that's a big one for me and i even like just little times when if i find myself in the kitchen cooking and things i'm like why am i stood like this this is bizarre yeah all and on then, one side yeah yeah completely slightly yeah. slow to one side but um, I mean, I've been, it's been really interesting talking to you and it's from, because of somebody who's been through different uh, changes and definitely found yourself in maybe in spots that you didn't expect yourself to find yourself in. Um, mm. What would you, what would you say you've got envisioned for the say like the next like, few years? I mean, at the moment, Plenty of uncertainty, probably makes that kind of crystal ball a little bit more hazy. But what would you say that you've got planned for the next three years? What do you want to do?
1: Well, yeah, COVID definitely put a spin on things, um, left us all unemployed for a while in the film industry. So it was kind of tossing up, well, what else am I passionate about and what else am I skilled at? And it was sort of the same thought pattern that got me into stunts in the first place. It's like, well, I've got this athletic background, I've got this knowledge, I want to use it. I've got a skill, I want to use it. And I'm like, well, actually one thing since doing martial arts and I do martial arts with adults, that may sound weird, but gymnastics is uh, mostly youth. So for me, flexibility, strength and all that sort of things is very normal to me. But once I started training with adults and things like jujitsu and people like, wow, you're really flexible. I'm like, this is just normal. Like being able to do splits every way to me is just normal. That's how people should be, right? That's what I see every day when I coach. Actually, I see kids that are hyper with their leg up here and their foot way down there, you know, like see crazy things. Um, so when adults were telling me, they're like, how are you so flexible? How are you like this? I'm like, well, I just do the splits, you know, I just stretch. And then I started to get people who wanted to uh, – train with me or wanted to develop that skill or were constantly coming to me for tips so when COVID hit I was like well I've had lots of people ask me to run stretch classes before so I'm like why don't I start some stretch classes and so I actually started Instagram live videos uh, doing online stretch classes I was like I'll just see how it goes and they went off (laughs) <laughs> they went really well. I was quite surprised by it. I was quite surprised by the uptake of it. And I started to get people messaging me like, are you not having one this week? Why are you not having one? And I'm like, because, because I'm busy. Like I was just running them just for fun to help people out while people were bored at home. You know, once, once we dropped alert levels and got our lives back, I'm like, well, I started to do things on the weekends. <laughs> and so I'm like, well, people keep asking me. So, That's part of the reason why I'm getting my personal training certification. I do have all the coaching qualifications, but to me I feel that only qualifies me with gymnasts and athletes and in particular youth. So I really want to get more experience with the general population and with special populations that I've previously not worked with. So that's why I'm doing the certification. And I actually want to develop stretch programs for people to do at home because what I've found is in my daily life, Things like tying my shoes, I don't have to think about. If I'm in tight pants, if I'm in my skinniest skinny jeans and can't move my knees, I can bend over and tie my shoe without bending my legs. No, and I don't think twice about it. But to a normal person, they're going to be sitting there awkwardly trying to reach the shoe with one arm tied up or like having to jump on the bed to tie it. And I'm like, there's other ways. And so <laughs> that's something that I think I can actually help people with. That's I have that knowledge. I wasn't a naturally flexible person, so I know how to get it when you're not flexible already, when you're not blessed with that natural talent.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, I can actually say, yeah, like I, I did your it was a, I did one of your stretching um routines yesterday, um, on oh, YouTube. I, I forget what I think it was, I think it was beginning beginner's stretching. I think it was in the title. I can't, I'm sorry, I'm paraphrasing. 13 minutes right. long it was really good really really yeah. good i mean i woke up this morning i trained i trained my legs yesterday which was a, yeah. was a horrendously difficult session and i remember thinking i'm actually afraid of the morning coming around because i know how much i'm going to ache and i ate a lot less this morning a lot less like i i mean i always stretch but i yeah. think there's something about maybe having the the sort of mental dedication to right i am going to commit to doing this activity right now because I think that maybe I tried, th- I do stretch but I feel like I'm maybe ticking a bit of a box but when mm-hmm. I did yours yesterday I did like I say I've, w- I've woken up today definitely freer in the hips legs aren't hurting as much I can I can sit down without it hurting which is great um and uh, and yeah more balanced more balanced
1: yeah that makes me so happy to hear see that's the thing is I just want it to affect people's daily lives like I've been coaching gymnasts and how to get flexible but it's not helping i think i can help more people than just singular gymnasts in this area and the more i would just like to develop a program which really rather than just one random stretch session here and one random stretch session here by doing it more regimented and in a program style way i think you can really make lasting effects on people's flexibility and develop you know changes that will stay with you
0: yeah i think do you know what there's certainly even more so at the moment, I think a massive value about what you're trying to provide. And, you know, there's people that are doing yoga and things like that. But, you know, the stretching as well is, is something that people just, I think, should try and harness and embrace because mm. more than ever, we're, we're cooped up into these small spaces now at home in remote working. So mm. some people are at makeshift desks. So maybe when they were in the, their office or the place of work, they've got desks with the right height, screens, and things like that. But there's been a lot of improvisation, I mean, to go on. I know as a rule you you might be finding yourself sat in some strange positions I mean even myself I'm finding a bit more tight in my neck than normal and things like that so you know if people are doing that on a daily basis it's going to have a lot more positive impact on how they're using the body day-to-day and the the, the bad habits that they are uh, developing as a result of these these adapted um, circumstances will ultimately be a lot less painful because of you know, the, the regular structure. It's definitely something I'm going to keep doing. Definitely. So, yeah. So thank you. So where can people find, find more of you than Bronte? Uh,
1: definitely Instagram is where I'm most active. At the moment, I've been just a little bit quiet on it because I've been so into the studying. I'm very close to the end of it and I want it to be done. So I've been a bit quieter than usual, but that is where I'm most active. Uh, and then also Facebook page. And there is a YouTube, all of which very soon will be kicking off. Up another gear as soon as my studies are done, with more stretching and more tips and things.
0: And your Instagram handle—is it? I remember right—is it just Bronte Calucci?o
1: Yeah, very That's fortunately, it. I'm the only one in the world, so everything is Bronte coluccio easy. Every username.
0: Easy. Um, well, look, bro, very easy. thank you, look, thank you so much for the time that you've given us today. It's been really, really interesting talking to you. Um, and I know, you know, wish you all the best and hope that you get back into the stunt soon. Um, and you're working regularly, uh, but then I hope, also hope that the the uh, personal training ticks up for you as well.
1: Thank you so much. Appreciate it.
0: No worries. So look, for now, guys, uh, this has been the twenty three. I'm Chris Kirkby. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you soon.